This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is the CMO Spotlight. With insight from top executives on how to address the key challenges facing the business world and the marketing industry. Here are your hosts, Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. Hey, and welcome to the show. It's going to be a great one, as always. I'm Catherine Hayes. I'm the co-author of a book called Beyond Advertising, Creating Value Through All Customer Touch Points, and the um, founding uh, executive director of the Wharton Future of Advertising program here. And I am with Jenny Rooney, wonderful hey, Jenny Rooney, who has a little bit of touch of sun from the south of France. <laughs> very, very small. I think you were in meetings all the time. but um, So we'll be talking about that today. Um, but I just want to welcome you all to the show. This is a show that we get pretty excited about because it's for marketers and really everyone who wants to know kind of what are the key topics, what are the key issues, what are the key challenges that um, chief marketing officers from some of the biggest companies in the world mm-hmm. are thinking about and doing. So we'll be welcoming a couple to our show today. In fact, we'll be welcoming Nick Drake. He's the executive vice president of marketing and experience at T-Mobile USA. And secondly, in our second half hour, we're going to talk with Rick Gomez. He's the chief marketing officer of Target. So it should be a great show. And And Jenny, why don't you tell us a little bit about the theme of the show? Sure. Yeah. So thanks, Catherine. It's always great to be here. And we always have so much fun once a month with the show. Um, I just got back from the Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity. And so um, we're going to be talking, obviously, about what that is on the show. But um, it's an annual gathering of of advertising executives from all over the world. And they meet uh, once a year uh, in the south of France. And... um, you know, a big focus on at the show every year, um, but certainly this year, is on this concept of creativity and sort of how it's defined, what it means, how it can be obviously a brand and business builder um, for marketers. And so we have these two um, amazing guests on the show, Nick and Rick, <laughs> who are um, leading CMOs in the industry, and they uh, are also um, – Back from Cannes, they were they were there. I saw them last week, and uh, so it's wonderful to have them on the show because we can talk about sort of what they um, experienced when they were there and sort of the insights that they gleaned from being there and how they're bringing them back into their uh, offices um, now that they're perfect. And back. this is great because I'm I'm kind of like a listener since. <laughs> I did not go to Cannes this year. But you've been, Catherine. It's fabulous. You've experienced it. It's it's not fear of missing out. It's knowing what you're missing out on, something (laughs) like that. I'm not quite sure what that acronym (laughs) might be. But but I really am very curious to sort of see what the vibe was and that sort of thing. So so with that, why don't we go ahead and get started? Sure, yeah. I'd like to welcome our first um, guest of the show. Again, it's Nick Drake. He's the Executive Vice President, Marketing and Experience for T-Mobile USA. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you so much, Jenny and Catherine. How are you doing? Great. Good to talk to you, Nick. Thanks for uh, taking time. I'm sure you're still catching up on everything, having been away at Cannes for the last week or so. You know, I'm just trying to get used to not having rosé thrown at me and people offering me a blockchain uh, trial. Uh, (laughs) In a connected kind of a way, so rosé on top of the blockchain. I'm looking looking for the application (laughs) here. They seem to arrive in equal quantities. But I, I can attest <laughs> to the fact that uh, Jenny wasn't there tanning. She was working incredibly hard. Every time I saw her, she was hosting an amazing event for Forbes. So, well, thank, uh, yeah. Yeah, thank you yeah. for saying so, Nick. And it was great to see you um, and meet you there, really. So, yeah. so this yeah, is great. No, it's it fantastic. So why don't you just give us, maybe kind of start with the elevator pitch, just help our listeners remember, I think we all, as a consumer brand, have a good sense of it, but just a little bit about um, T-Mobile and what your role is there, your scope, and maybe a a little bit about your journey coming to this particular job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My role started uh, last August, so I'm relatively new in the position. Uh, Prior to that, I've been uh, the SVP of digital. charged with leading T-Mobile's digital transformation. And we got to a point in um, uh, that path where it became clear that we needed marketing transformation as well. And so I have a a brand new role within the company where we brought together um, all elements of traditional marketing, including brand, et cetera, um, and put that together with the product management side of our business um, under the notion of creating all customer experiences in one place within our business. Amazing. which has uh, been 
a, a fantastic and really exciting ride. Um, prior to that, I've had a very varied background. Um, strange enough, I, I started life as a professional athlete, or at least life at the age of 18, um, and was a rugby player in the UK. And I, I, I sort of fell into um, advertising um, when um, I got injured. And uh, very kindly, um, a media agency uh, said, you know, your professional sports background would be fantastic for our client Adidas or Adidas uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would you like to come and, and, and learn, learn the profession? So wow. uh, I, fed, I, I fell into it. I'm, I've sort of been forever grateful to the, uh, the folks down at Aegis who, who gave me this start and showed me this world of advertising. And then I was really lucky when I retired a few years later. Um, I was able to go back and play for a few more years. And when I retired, um, Adidas, who happened to be my sponsor, offered me um, my, my first start on the brand side um, in their global marketing team. Um, and, and that's how I sort of fell into the marketing world. And from there, I moved to uh, be the managing director of Shark Day in Los Angeles, was the chief marketing officer of um, uh, action sports brand Quicksilver, um, and, and then came to T-Mobile um, almost exactly three years ago. So uh, quite a varied background. That's amazing, and I can I can only imagine how you're bringing all those experiences to bear on what you're doing now at at, at T-Mobile. Can you uh, to Catherine's question too? Just just share where T-Mobile is, you know, in its journey and sort of what its mandate is, um, you know, against really stiff competition, right? Yeah, it's it's been a phenomenal journey. So uh, we view ourselves as five years in, and, and and five years ago was the moment that the uncarrier was born. Um, and the story sort of almost become folklore, I guess. You know, our CEO, John Ledger, in a moment of deep frustration, completely unpremeditated, leapt up onto a stage in, in Las Vegas and said that he wanted to put an end to a stupid, broken and arrogant industry. Um, and with that, this notion of Uncarrier was born, which was um, not even being a challenger brand, but com- completely reinventing the category and doing things in a totally different way to the incumbents. And at the center of that, there's really only one principle, which is doing the right things by customers. Um, And, you know, John's often asked what the secret sauce is. um, And and he will only give you one response, which is listen to customers and do exactly what they tell you. That's it. Um, And and, and that's how the company's sort of been moving forward for the last five years. And and it, it seems to have been quite successful. I mean, we've had now it's been 19 quarters of growth with over a million nets in each quarter. So we've moved from 33 million customers to 73 million customers in five years. And we've moved from being the number four carrier to the number three carrier. And uh, we're chasing hard on the heels of the other guys. Um, so it's been an exciting journey so far. That's amazing. What, um, what a story. Yeah, and talk about, story. Uh, talk about growth. Um, and so you've been there sort of three years in. And yeah. it sounds as though as part of that becoming an uncarrier or naming oneself that is was your role in both sort of the digital transformation and then really seeing that as a, a broader mandate across all of the touch points. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's really been a fun ride. I mean, of course, you know, as we said, it's experience which has really defined the difference between T-Mobile and our competitors. And so, you know, when I looked at the landscape and arrived here three years ago, um, it was quite clear that we weren't really where we should have been from a digital perspective. I think we'd focused on um, the parts of the company that touch customers every single day from a physical perspective. Uh, we have this notion of being frontline first. Um, and so, um, you know, customer care has really changed its game and have become the best in the industry. Um, the retail experience was... Uh, you know, fully transformed in a very short space of time and has become uh, best in class. Um, and as we looked at the other places that customers were interacting with us, it was really clear that we were falling short um, and uh, in the digital space. And so that isn't an easy thing to go fix. And, and so we came up with this notion of splitting the monolith. Um, and that was separating front-end experiences from our legacy architecture. You know, we had systems that have been here sure. for over 15 years. Right. Um, and, and so the thought was, uh, how could we rapidly iterate um, and generate uh, much better customer experiences on the front end while allowing our engineering team the time and space to go re-platform, which is very hard to do when they get a series of orders running through the product management teams asking for constant changes to the back end uh, to support front end changes. Right. Um, and, and so the, the, the art was 
um, within a couple of years, could we radically change that front-end experience? And I, you know, I, th- I think we've done a, a fairly reasonable job, you know, in um, you know obvious places like transforming the the T-Mobile website or our brand new customer service app. Um, and I think we've even now pioneered into new spaces, uh, working with um, uh, friends at uh, some of the social channels like. Uh, Facebook, where we now have um, acquisition and care capabilities built within uh, the messenger funnel. And we're actually the only telecom operator in that space at the moment. Wow. Uh, so it's been an interesting journey. So against that backdrop, because our show is talking about CAN, which is one of the biggest events in the ad, ad world um, still, you know, with that background, with that experience and coming from that vantage point, you go to CAN, um, you know, what? What do you go? Why do you go as a CMO who's sort of, you know, overseeing um, all this uh, transformation and obviously wanting to, um, you know, I'm sure you go to tons of conferences and you're, you know, you're associating with other CMOs and you're hearing other things. Why specifically do you go to Cannes um, and, and sort of especially coming from your unique vantage point? Yeah, Cannes has a number of different benefits. I mean, first and foremost, um, it, it, it's a learning center for me. Um, you know, you have, what is it, 11,000 delegates, I think, from 90 countries right. mm-hmm. uh, sharing their, um, you know, their thoughts and their ideas and, and, and importantly, their work. Um, so, you know, there's the celebration of what's considered best in class. On the fringes, um, you know, people like Jenny are hosting exchanges of ideas. Um, and I, I find that incredibly valuable because you don't often get your peers in one space at one time, e- even at forums, uh, you know, in the United States. Um, and so to have the time and ability to sit down with you know, people like Rick, who I think you're speaking to later, mm-hmm. um, who, who happens to be a good friend and somebody who's been helping us with our transformation a good deal. Mm. Um, and, and asking those hard questions in a private forum um, and, and candidly sharing best practices. I think is a unique gift. And I, I find this one of the most valuable weeks of my year. Um, and then last of all, I like the fact that it's become a place where we are now setting standards mm-hmm. uh, for all things in advertising. Um, and you know, it's probably worthy of greater conversation, but there are some really important things happening in our industry at the moment that we all need to align around um, and, and declare benchmarks and standards for them. And, and again, CAN is becoming a great center um, not just from a United States perspective, but from a global perspective for us as an industry um, to think about the way that our uh, business is conducted and to perhaps raise the bar um, as we so desperately need to do in some areas. Let's talk a little bit about that. I think it'd be very helpful for us to get a sense of which kind of standards you're talking about and what kind of bars are being raised and to where and why. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a number of different places to go. Uh, and I think, you know, the obvious one and, and, and one of the big conversations that can was obviously what people were calling the Me Too effect. Um, you know, last year, I think we were sort of at a place where people um, were, were, were sort of raising the question of, well, what should we do? Um, and I think what was gratifying this year was we saw a change in the conversation, which was, uh, this is what we've done, and right. this is what's more we're setting out to achieve. Um, and that was from the perspective of gender equality and diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think those are all three incredibly important topics, particularly within the advertising industry, which has um, not, you know, not been a place of great equality um, and still isn't um, in, in many places today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for instance, uh, I was on a panel with... Um, uh, Elini Santos from Unilever, um, who was talking about uh, the unstereotype um, initiative that they've just launched. She has um, their uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives, right? She's she oversees that's right. all yeah. that for Unilever. Yeah, yeah. She, I, I think she holds two types. So I think she's the EVP of marketing and um, and uh, diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Um, and so the um, you know the unstereotype um, initiative is requiring. Uh, brands that sign up uh, to pay a sum of money uh, to the United Nations um, Equality Alliance. Um, and they set certain benchmarks and objectives. You know, for instance, I think one that she spoke about was making sure that at least 50% of the directors that they work with um, are female mm-hmm. um, in all of their advertising work. Um, they set very aggressive targets for making sure that they are um, a diverse um, workforce at Unilever. 
Um, and so they, they've looked internally and externally at their partners um, and started setting some bars, and they've asked everyone else to come and join and participate. That kind of conversation, I thought, was incredibly important, uh, really beneficial, and it was great to see what other companies were doing that perhaps we could learn from and participate with. And then, you know, not, no less important, but, you know, there were, uh, let's, you know, Christine Lemkow uh, was uh, there uh, talking about the Gun Safety Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, the, you know, the folks from Mars talking about Lion's Share, which was um, an initiative to um, uh, protect um, wildlife um, and uh, specifically how we treat animals in advertising. And I think the notion there was um, any advert that you... Um, featured an animal within, you would donate 0.5% of the media budget, um, again, to the United Nations, um, where the Lions Share Trust would uh, make sure that that went to the preservation and um, uh, good keeping of animals across the world. So there were a multitude and a great diversity of really important topics that I don't think have had substantial programs behind them before. Um, and this became, I think, one of the key themes of the conference. Yeah, I mean, there's such agenda agenda setting there, and I think that there's been so much conversation around this now, and actually action, right, to your point. Mm -hmm. Um, Concrete, specific, and the other thing that I think I find really fascinating is Again, sort of not just talking about it, which I've been to conferences over the last 10 years where it's like, oh, we need to work on this and what's the problem? But actually putting into place and as well as coming together as partners between the agencies and the brands and those who are creating the ads and the marketing and the and the brands themselves to be in partnership on this and to hold each other accountable. So that's really impressive. Yeah, that's been fascinating. What do you think, Nick? Nick, how do you sort of translate? Cause to me, that's such an interesting um, point where we're seeing marketers, you know, obviously um, lean in and 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 not just um, have brand messages that speak to cultural issues, but CMOs are actually taking a stand and actually, you know, feeling like you mentioned Kristen, for example, and some others, but you know, who feel like adding to that dialogue and that conversation and actually having a point of view. Um, is valuable now, right? And um, how are you viewing that as a CMO? And so in terms of how T Mobile has to show up, right, in in cultural, in conversations around cultural issues and societal issues and addressing those, um, and also how are you sort of regarding what its sort of purpose needs to be beyond, you know, above and beyond, obviously, just the uh, the products and services that it's selling. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of interesting things there. I mean, essentially, with the um, popularization of social media, we live in a day and age of radical transparency. Yeah. Um, and in, in a day and age where we need to earn customers' trust every single day. And so, first of all, I think senior executives within businesses uh, have a responsibility to um, wear their brand um, and face it to their public and to their customers daily. Um, and you know, fortunately, T-Mobile, this is, One of our core principles, I mean, part of the agenda that John set out to achieve five years ago was uh, this this sense uh, that I mentioned previously of frontline first. But what that meant was that as executives of the business, we have to stand shoulder to shoulder with um, those that are dealing with customers every every single day and answer customer queries ourselves. And and, I've got to tell you, I really hadn't spoken to customers Hmm. um, on this level at any other point in my career. You know, 20 years in, in marketing and advertising, and we tended to be in our ivory towers a little bit. Um, and what I loved about T-Mobile was the um, exposure to the things that we had sown on a daily basis. Um, and people will tell, you know, often ask, you know, how do you know if your business is working or not working? We know instantaneously if something's working because it will pop up in our social feeds, and we need to respond to it as the primary thing we do every single day. So. I think part one of your question is we absolutely shoulder responsibility to face our customers mm-hmm. um, for the things that we sow. But part two, uh, which is you know, your question on purpose, is it's not just about the industries within which we sit. Um, it's very clear, and this is a big topic at Cannes as well, that um, you, we've got to move from uh, having purpose uh, to bringing meaning to people. Uh, you know, we're, we're entering an age where we have deeper relationships with customers than ever before, and that brings with it tremendous responsibility. 
Um, and so one of the things that um, I'm really proud that the T-Mobile team has, has done um, you know, in, in, in the last few months is, is really begin to recognize um, where um, bringing meaning and advocacy to things that sit beyond our industry and are a halo across all industries um, are incredibly important to bring our voice to. And so, you know, some small examples of that would be, for instance, the Super Bowl spot, which is traditionally an opportunity for T-Mobile to poke one of our competitors in the eye and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, we decided it wasn't a year for that. It was a year to talk about mm. um, equality and work with Kerry Washington um, on the piece of work that we ran during um, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and equally, you know, I, I came out and I, I think Jenny might have been there at Patel, uh, and we spoke about the fact that, um, you know, we looked internally and said, you know what, we should be putting 30% of all of our media dollars behind social impact. Um, and so we have a whole series of initiatives coming out this year because we feel the responsibility to bring more meaning uh, to the term or the notion of changing wireless for good. Uh, good isn't just industry changes. It's also about um, supporting things that matter socially. Um, and, and that's been a, you know, a, an important evolution for us and I think many brands this year and was much spoken about at can. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it goes without saying, obviously, though, at the end of the day, there's got to be a, a business imperative. I mean, there's a business imperative. So there you ask any CMO these days and they'll they'll be completely frank and say, but it's good business. I mean, this is what our consumers want. They want us to take a stand. You know, they want to, um, I think actually Rick, who's coming on next, you know, said, you know, customer, millennials especially and younger generations, they don't want to buy things. They want to buy into things, right? They want to feel like they're kind of um, um, adopting or, or investing in or supporting, you know, the companies and brands that support the things that they care about or at least are, are aligned um with them on on certain could, issues so couldn't couldn't agree more if we don't achieve that we won't be a brand that stands the test of time and our marketing marketing objective uh, sounds a little sort of lofty but um internally our desire is to become the most loved brand in america we're, we're already the most loved brand in the wireless category um but it, it's not one of those sort of big thirty thousand foot sort of throwaway objectives there's a very tangible metrics behind that which support the fact that as you become a beloved brand, you actually need to spend less on media and advertising because your customers do that advocacy for you. And you build these long-term relationships that also allow you to break into new industries. Um, Of course, T-Mobile started in the wireless industry. We've recently bought a cable company, and we're bringing radical disruption to those two categories. But I think we've got a much broader runway than that uh, as an extraordinary customer advocate. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more. And have, I mean, obviously you're in, um, from a growth perspective, obviously in very good shape and that's been moving along. Do you think that makes it easier to make some of these choices and take some of these, um, what could be considered risks to move it away from sort of the tried and true media buys to to something that's um, more aspirational and perhaps a longer term investment? Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. It's something I often, you know, people say, say, what keeps you awake at night? That's one of the things I ponder, which is um, are the decisions we're taking based on the luxury of growth? Um, but I, I would argue that it, it shouldn't be. Um, right. And it, it's obviously much harder if you're, um, you know, you're in the shoes of, let's say, one of our competitors that are, you know, in decline at the moment, uh, where you're forced to look at marginal changes to drive um, you know, the, the sort of returns that shareholders are looking for. But I, I truly believe that if you focus on customer experience, always uh, you will see the economic returns uh, provided. And, uh, you know, as you were connecting the dots, but, you know, part of customer experience, uh, things like having uh, gender equality and diversity in, in your workforce drives greater innovation and leads to those fantastic customer experiences. And it attracts people to, to want to work company. for your company too, which is obviously the other the other thing that a lot of absolutely. CMOs are focused on right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I'm listening to you, Nick, and I'm thinking about folks who might be listening on the call who might be at smaller companies that are just starting out or, you know, I mean, 
You have such amazing experience and a variety of experiences at different types of company, you know, agency side, other clients. Um, T-Mobile has such a, a rich history. You know, from your vantage point, especially when we get into these concepts of, you know, meaning and um, cultural relevance and purpose and, um, you know, and starting to, 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 to your point just now, you know, going beyond um, just talking, you know, just selling the product or service, right, and pitching the next the next great thing. And it's actually letting your consumers know what you stand for. And how would you, what advice would you give to companies that don't have that, um, you know, benefit of time yet, you know, or that track record or that experience? We're considering it. Yeah. Is that something, especially when authenticity is so key, how, how, any just quick words of advice for, uh, for companies that might be trying to get their heads around, how do I approach that concept and, and, and achieve that? For me, um, it, it was a shy day philosophy, but I, I know it's sort of been adopted widely elsewhere. Um, but it, it always started with finding um, your your brand belief and then your brand's behavior, uh, which I think Simon Sinek has decoded quite nicely with his um, why, how, what. Um, pivoting to why you exist, being explicit upon that, and making sure that everything you do that a customer touches or sees or feels ladders up to that belief uh, will be transformational for any business of any size. Um, and it, it, it slightly decodes John's notion of putting customers first. Um, if your reason to exist aligns uh, with things that your customers are passionate about, feels like it represents values that they hold, um, then you're building a brand that becomes part of their lives. Um, and I always start in that place. And, and again, Shark Day has traded off this for, for many, many years. But whenever we received a new client, it would go back to the drawing board, literally, um, and um, you know, focus on why do you exist in the world and what is your purpose? Um, and from that point, uh, you can start building a brand that will truly stand the test of time. Um, so I, I would say um, if, if you're... Um, thinking about bringing purpose to your work, uh, jump onto YouTube and watch Simon Sinek's 20-minute uh, TED Talk around uh, the why, how, what. I think it was called The Golden Circles. Right. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful way to, to leave our conversation. It's certainly something that I'm excited that we've been talking about this for a few years in terms of what it could be, but to have so many great examples, including yours at T-Mobile, to see it really happening and for you all to be talking about it so uh, eloquently, I think is fantastic. So with that, Nick Drake, um, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great fun. Hope to keep in touch. Thanks so much. All right. So please stay with us. Next up, we have Rick Gomez. He's the chief marketing officer of Target. And we'll be talking about him on his uh, experiences at the Con Lions Festival of Creativity. Stay with us. Thanks. You're listening to the CMO Spotlight on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again are Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So glad that you're joining us for the CMO Spotlight. Uh, We bring to you some of the great marketing minds of the world, the chief marketing officers who are um, really changing our world, as we'll hear a little bit more about today. I'm Catherine Hayes. I'm the co-author of Beyond Advertising, Creating Value Through All Customer Touchpoints. And with me is Jenny Rooney. Jenny is the Forbes Network CMO editor. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Catherine. How are you? And why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about um, this second half of our show and our theme for the show and give a little context. Yeah, sh- sure. So um, just recently was the Can Lions International Festival of Creativity, and it's an annual event where marketers from all around the globe come together for a week of uh uh, sharing work, sharing advertising work, and um, it's a major competition too. So people, it's an award show. It is at its core, it's an award show. But um, you know, obviously, over the years and decades, it's 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 sort of um, morphed into so much more than that. It's you know, more and, than sixty years old, right? Yeah, yeah and sixty-two or something. Yeah, as a consequence, there's just everybody from ad tech players to new media companies to obviously agencies, and and certainly a lot of CMOS who now come. And they come for many different reasons, but uh, it's uh, a, a really an, kind of a very unique opportunity for, for networking, discussion, and learning. Uh, and so we're going to just talk about that and sort of against that backdrop in that context, we're, we're talking with some 
of uh, the world's leading CMOs today. And obviously, we're now going to be talking to Rick Gomez at Target, who is uh, certainly in that category for sure. So, And with that, why don't we go ahead and welcome Rick to the show. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. So I don't think anybody knows about Target, so if you can just accept, <laughs> just okay, they probably do, but if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit about where Target is right now as background, as well as maybe your journey to come to this role as the Target CMO. Sure. Why don't I start with my journey, and then Great. I can talk about Target. Oh, now he's running um, the show. Okay. <laughs> well, I thought I'd just start there, and then we can- That's wonderful. No, it's wonderful. Target. But- um, uh, a little bit about my background. You know, I, I wish I could tell you that my dream was to always become the CMO at Target, but <laughs> that was not the case. I, in fact, was destined to become a lawyer, and I had studied law, I had accepted the law school, and um, was very proud, told my parents, and they looked at me and said, that's great, but how are you going to pay for it? <sighs> and that's when the light bulb went on. I needed a job. So I deferred my acceptance and took a job to help pay for law school. And I took a job working in brand management at the Quaker mm. Oats Company. And after two years, I deferred for two years. Um, and then I deferred for a third year. <laughs> and after my third year, I was the assistant brand manager on Captain Crunch. Oh and my, my job was so coming up with what colors of crunch berries should there be? <laughs> what's the ad campaign for peanut butter crunch? What are the games on the back of the box and the toys inside the box. How could you ever leave that for a right. while? Yeah, <laughs> right. come on. No, that is, yeah. And at that point, clearly being a lawyer could not be as much fun as that. No. So no. that's when I decided I'm going to stick to marketing and spent most of my career working in food and beverage. I was with PepsiCo for 18 years. Oh, wow. Then uh, four years with Miller Coors. And then I joined Target and have been the CMO at Target now for about a year and a half. Um, when I joined Target, I was the senior vice president and had worked in that role for about three years. When the CMO job, job opened up, Jeff Jones, who had been my, uh, my boss, my mentor, my coach, had left to go on um, pursue other challenges. So the role was open and I raised my hand and I said I would love to do that job. And they said, we're going to do an internal search and an external search. And so I went through a series of interviews. Um, and I'll tell you just a little bit of story uh, so you get a sense of, uh, of who I am in my family. But uh, I come from a pretty tight-knit Hispanic family, and they're very involved in everything um, <laughs> uh, and have an opinion on everything. And so as I was going through my interviews, my dad would call me, and before every interview, he would give me advice on, Rick, you need to say this. Rick, don't say this. So Rick, helpful. You, do this. you know, very helpful, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that went on for a while through a series of interviews, and then I remember so clearly a day in January where Brian Cornell, our CEO, called me into his office, and he said, you know, being the CEO, there are some bad days and there's some good days. And he said, today's a good day because I get to offer you the CMO. Oh, that's target. awesome. And the first person, the first person that I called was my dad. Yeah. And um, it, it was a, it's a phone call I'll never forget when I called him and said, you know, Dad, uh, I got the job. And he got really quiet and he didn't say anything. And then I could hear him and he started crying. Aww. And I, oh said, my goodness. I was like, Dad, why are you crying? This is such good news. <laughs> and he said, you know, I didn't think we were going to get it. And, and you, we. Have, you have to understand a Hispanic family, yeah. it's, like, it's we. It's, yes. it's not my career, it's my family, it's my yeah. parents, it's ours. And um, he got quiet again. And he said, son, you know what this means? And I said, no, dad, what does it mean? He said, you better not screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been sort of my journey. And it's, uh, I thought he was going to say something like, you can't shop are, at Walmart or, anymore. <laughs> or how much are we going to make? Yeah. <laughs> no, like my, a family can lift you up, but they bring you right back. Yeah, like, let's, okay, <laughs> don't screw it. I love it. Aww. So I uh, have now been in this job for about a year and a half, um, and it is an incredible privilege mm. to be the chief marketing officer for Target it's an iconic, world-class brand. We have uh, 1,800 stores throughout the U.S. Um, we have a broad portfolio that ranges from food and beverage to style categories like apparel, home, beauty, electronics, toys, hard lines. 
Um, so it's a it's a, a mass retailer, but we like to think of ourselves as offering something really differentiated in the marketplace from an experience standpoint. Okay, so let's talk about that because yeah. not an easy category. So um, <laughs> tell us what you you know what does innovation look like, Rick, for for you and for Target? Yeah, I mean, I, what I would say is right now, um, and you know this, you can't pick up the paper or uh, see the news without reading about um, all of the challenges in the retail landscape. It is incredibly tumultuous. You have retailers that are closing stores, that are on the verge of bankruptcy, that have gone bankrupt and are closing, um, and there's a lot of consolidation in the industry. And what we have said, and we were very public about it about a year ago, is we actually believe in Target the brand, and we believe that Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity for us to create a differentiated experience. So a year ago, we made a public statement that we're going to invest $7 billion over three years to remodel our stores, to open new stores in urban locations and on college campuses, Mm -hmm. to invest in our team members so that we're giving even better service in the stores. We're investing in digital um, so that we can provide product to our guests wherever and whenever they want it. And we're on a journey to get same-day delivery nationwide as soon as we can. Um, And we're also launching a whole series of new owned brands um, across a bunch of categories from apparel, electronics, home, um, kids, adults, men. So um, and those owned brands help to differentiate Target from Mm. the other retailers. Mm -hmm. So we've been on this journey of kind of transforming Target and investing in Target and still early. And but but the results have been really promising. We had a great holiday season. We had a terrific first quarter. We had our highest traffic in our first quarter that we've had in 10 years. Wow. And so um, I think it speaks to there is an opportunity for Target that's unique in the marketplace. I want to point out one thing for our listeners because it's subtle, but I want to make, make mention of it. You refer to your customers as guests in every in every context yeah. and every mention. Um, but just, it, it isn't, it isn't, uh, um, it is significant. It's not insignificant. So talk about why, you know, why that and what's the, sort of, what's the culture that that is uh, uh, sort of a, a glimmer of when you talk about them that way. Yeah, we refer to our customers, our consumers as guests. And I think that is an acknowledgement of, um, we really see ourselves as a host and offering an experience to our guests um, and we think about being a guest-centric organization and making sure that we're putting the guests at the center of the decisions that we're making. Um, and that includes in the experience that we're creating. And we listen to our guests, and our guests are telling us um, that they want to shop on their terms. They want to shop on their terms, whether that's digitally or that's in-store, whether that's buying it in-store, um, and then um, browsing on their phone and buying it in store, buying it online and then returning it in store. They want to do it on their terms. And so part of being guest centric is we're now building those capabilities that we can get product to our guests wherever and wherever they want it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is we have, um, you know, we have with 1800 stores across the U S 80, you have, gosh, it's like 80% of Americans live within mm. 10 miles of a target. Mm-hmm. Wow. So if you think about our stores as almost like DCs, they're like hubs that can get product to guests faster than really anybody distribution else. Distribution centers, DCs? Yeah, dis- yeah yep. distribution centers. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that that's a competitive advantage for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it all stems from what does the guest want, and we are committed to offering offering that for the guest. So I'm going to ask you the same question we, we asked Nick Drake of T-Mobile in the earlier uh, half hour. But, you know, obviously we're coming off of Can, and this is sort of our Can episode, Can follow-up, mm-hmm. post-Can episode. Um, you know, again, against that sort of vantage point, right, or from that vantage point, um, you were in Can, you were at the Can Lions Festival, and, um, you know, Talk a little bit about your perspective about why is the CMO you go there, what do you hope to get out of it, what the value is uh for you personally and for professionally, obviously, for, for the networking opportunities that are there and the learning opportunities. And what were some of the discussions that you were um, both part of and, and learned a lot from? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, let me just start by saying I'm relatively a newbie to Can. Mm-hmm. So I went last year for the first time, and I went with 
um, I would say a healthy dose of skepticism. You know, it's a big trip. It's an expensive trip. It's a long time to be out of the office. Um, but I wanted to check it out and I wanted to see what it was about. And it was such a productive, such mm-hmm. a constructive week that I actually came back this past year and I brought um, a bunch of people from my team, chief creative officer, head of media, head of strategy, um, so that we could experience it together and have some of those conversations together. Um, it, it's what I would describe it as. It's a, a combination of a lot of different things in that um, it's an opportunity for you to be inspired, uh, to think externally, get out of your bubble, get out of you, even your industry and see what's going on. It's a chance to network with your peers, uh, understand what are the challenges that they're facing and, and quickly come to the realization that we're all facing the same challenges. Um, and it's a great time for us to uh, partner and spend time with our agencies who are out there and talk about what is world-class creative and what are the implications for the target brand. Um, I so love it, that you go with your team, too, because it's as opposed to trying to read your notes and bring the learning back and that sort of thing. They're experiencing it with you. They're having those conversations. And I would imagine sort of strategizing real time with everything that's been going on, you know, in your business worlds leading up to it. Yeah, I think that's really important yeah. um, uh, for many reasons. But, you know, right the way marketing is moving, it's no longer mm-hmm. siloed between creative and media and strategy. It's really everybody is partnering and collaborating together. And so the ideas come from all over the place. And so I think it's important for that, for those, um, that level and those disciplines to all mm-hmm. experience this together. I also think it's really important for our agencies to be there with us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often say that Target, it's not the kind of, we're not the kind of company that buys a piece of advertising from an agency. Mm-hmm. We co-create. Mm-hmm. And it's a very iterative process. Um, we have um, a lots of ownership and strong points of view on the Target brand. Mm. And we respect the creativity and the perspective that our agencies bring. Um, but we work it together, and that's really important. Uh, one of the things we did, which was I really enjoyed it, it was one afternoon um, I asked the agencies, you look, go look through all of the work and come back with what you think is the most inspiring and relevant to Target. And then let's, let's sit down and just as a team talk about it. And we spent an afternoon talking about the work, debating it, um, agreeing or disagreeing, um, and it was with multiple agencies, so there was collaboration happening across the agencies. And then we went to dinner, and we had a great dinner, and it was a chance for us to work on the relationship as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it was an af- one afternoon, but it was highly productive. I remember the first time I went, um, and Chuck Porter was on our global advisory board for the Wharton Future of Advertising program of Crispin Porter, Bogowski, and CPB. And he said, here's my number one recommendation, Catherine. Go see the work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's going to be a lot of parties. There's going to be a lot of presentations. Just go see the work. And it, and I literally just kind of – I was there on my own, but just, you know, walked around just absorbing all of the creativity, all of the innovation, all the mind-blowing ways that people around the world and very globally as well were taking a hold of their brands to whole new different levels. So the best of the best. Um, so that's that's exciting. Yeah. And um, I think, Jenny, you had asked um, what were some of the themes. Yeah, some we of the headlines. Seeing. Yeah, and one, of, one that I would bring up, and it, I think it was, it came up, you saw it in the work, but you also heard it in the conversations. And I think it's the importance of purpose yeah. and ha- having um, a brand, having a clearly articulated purpose. And it's, I think that's always been important, but it's it's even more important now, particularly with millennials mm-hmm. who are... Um, making purchase decisions about brands based on more than just product attributes. They want to know what the brand stands for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often say millennials don't just buy things, they buy into things. And um, one of the key roles, I, I believe, for a CMO is to make sure that the CMO is representing and communicating the brand's purpose and the brand's values um, internally, of course, but then also externally because it's meaningful to consumers and to our guests. Um, and, you know, the one story that I would give you, not to go on a tangent, but um, for us at Target, our purpose is really important. And it's about bringing joy to all families every day. And when 
um, you can talk about it and talk about it as much as you, you know, and you can create an ad campaign around it. But there's, a, I think, a really specific example that shows how it comes to life. And it has to do with an article I read on Huffington Post. A woman was walking through a Target on a Saturday morning with her son, Charlie, and they went by a sign. And her son started clapping in front of the sign. She took him back in front of the sign again, and he started clapping again. And the sign was actually a child wearing her cat and jack, kids apparel, in a wheelchair. And Charlie, her son, has cerebral palsy. And so when he saw that picture and he just identified with it, mm. the mom said she stopped literally in the aisle and started crying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what she said in the post, and I remember the words, she, she said something to the effect of it was it, kin for kin, it was like for like, and it was beautiful. Target, you will always have my heart. Mm. And to me, that's part of our values. Like, there, there, it wasn't, this wasn't something that I said, we're going to have a marketing campaign and we're going to have kids in wheelchairs. Right. Or, you know, that it, it's, our, val- our purpose is about all families. Mm-hmm. So somebody in a casting you know, decision, um, we have thousands of signs, made a very small decision, but to Charlie it was a really big decision mm-hmm. um, to include that. And, and I think that's, that's how purpose and values come to life in marketing in a way that is really authentic and real. Um, and I think that's what marketers are striving to do is to figure out how to tell their purpose story in a way that feels authentic. Well, and you're the one who has always, you're the first to say it's, 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 it's good business, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're not shying away from the fact that you're doing this because this is what your customers want and this is how you're going to be selling product to be quite brash. But that's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're you're wanting to do and be successful. Um, and actually, you were named, and congratulations, you were a Forbes World's Most Influential CMO um, this year. And that holds with it some some true, um, you know, importance both within your organization as you, and as you said, externally as well. But, I mean, you own the voice of the customer in a way that no other executive in your organization does. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the value that you're bringing. Talk about that. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about that unique vantage point that, that is the value that you bring to the company to, to drive not just brand but the business as well. Yeah, I mean, a couple pieces to that. One is from a business perspective. I mean, we can talk a lot about creativity and innovation, technology, but all of that, in my mind, is – um, in service of delivering growth. At the end of the day, what we as CMOs have to do is to deliver top-line growth, market share growth, otherwise we're not winning. Um, and I think it's easy to kind of lose sight of that. And uh, it's really important to me that I'm communicating that not only to my team, but then across the C-suite, that marketing isn't a cost center. Mm-hmm. We're actually a driver of the business. Um, and that's where, where I believe... Uh, strongly in measurement in the analytics to demonstrate and hold ourselves accountable for the investments that we're making to demonstrate how they're driving the business. And what sounds so, it's what it sounds like is it's it's not an either or. It's not like, okay, we're going to have growth or we're going to have purpose. It's it's almost the, the, the how of the what, having the purpose, having everybody in your organization, which I think is, you know, one of the main things you didn't say, let's put an edict out and said, you know, central casting, do this. It's throughout the organization. So decisions are made independently because the organization, the individuals within that organization get it. And so it's sort of the how you achieve that growth with integrity, with inclusiveness, with, with bringing joy. So it's, they work together. I almost think of the purpose as it's our North Star. Yep. And so as we're making those day-to-day decisions, and we're certainly going after market in-market performance, we don't lose sight of where we're going long-term. So as you sit here now, I mean, you know, you have amassed so much success at this point. Um, you know, there, there continues to be huge competition for you all. Obviously, you know, commerce's brand and, and on the ways that co- commerce is changing – e-commerce is changing for for people and how people want to buy and you know let's talk a little bit about that what do you see on the horizon and where does target need to be moving forward so that it's capturing those moments of opportunity as well Mm -hmm. what we're hearing from our guests is they they don't think about brick and mortar separate from dot com they think of it as shopping Mm -hmm. and they shop across both and interchangeably 
And what they want to be able to do is have it on their terms, whatever those terms may be. And that sounds simple, but for, for us, that yeah. requires investment, and yeah. that's investing in supply chain, that's investing in technology, that's investing in our stores to um, make them easier for uh, these services. You know, one of the services that we're rolling out now, which has been really successful, is drive up. And what our guests are telling us is, you know, oftentimes I'm driving around in my car with my child in the back seat and I'm headed to Target and my child falls asleep. Well, don't want to wake up my child. What you can do is through the app is just order those diapers, milk, bread, whatever you need, and we will bring it out to your car and put it in your trunk. Mm -hmm. And we time it and we're able to do that in a minute and a half. Wow. So the experience is... um, Feedback has been awesome and incredible. And what I love about that example is, to me, it shows how technology combined with humanity can create a really differentiated experience. That's a great example of that coming together because we talk about it all the time and how I need to have it. But that's a beautiful example of – and you can feel it. You can feel what that must feel like for the parent who's got the child in the car. And I love the use of your word humanity because, I mean, that was a big term at Cannes as well, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing everything – the human at the center is – I I feel like there's just been – it sounds so obvious, but I feel like there's sort of a – uh, a rethinking and sort of a, a, a redirection of focus on that again for yeah, brands. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there's a lot of conversations about AI and automation, sure. and you have people who are thinking, you know, this is the silver bullet. This is gonna this is gonna change marketing forever. It's gonna be amazing. And then you have people who are like, oh my gosh, this is gonna kill the creativity. And you know, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. And I I actually think automation and data can fuel creativity. Um, and I think, and vice versa. Yeah, vice versa. And I think data and automation with humanity—that to me, for, at least for Target, that's the secret sauce. Um, when we can create better guest experiences in store, because we know the guest that's walking in the door, and we can address the guest by name and help them find what they're looking for, that can be data fueled. But that humanity is is really special. And you know what we're seeing in the research is Jen. Um, Gen Z, they actually like having the community yeah. coming together. They right. like shopping in a store. They like that tactile experience. So, um, And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, which is what you were saying before about you, you need to be able to – it's all shopping. And right now I want it online. Right now I want it brought to my car. And otherwise I kind of want to get some time out of the house and go shop in, in the store. So – it really does come together. So, yeah, no, so just to answer your question, Jenny, I would just say, like, you know, we're, we're, um, we're investing in those capabilities so that we can give the guest what they want. And I think that's going to continue to happen over the next few years. Excellent. Rick, Rick, thank you. Thank you so much, Rick. And unfortunately, we're out of time, but we really appreciate your coming on the CMO Spotlight tonight and sharing with us your reactions, not only of Ken, but some of the really exciting stuff that's going on at Target. Thanks. Hope to keep thank in touch. Thank you very much. All right. My pleasure. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.